Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Now out front... Can Martrex Jr. hang on to win? Or will Jimmy Johnson snap the 51 race winless streak? Those two side by side. Here they come. Through the final bank curve at the Charlotte Roble. Now he goes to the inside. Here comes Jimmy Johnson. Locks the brakes up. Oh, he's and he's going to slide. He slides through the middle. Truex gets tagged. Now it'll be a fight for the finish line. Ryan Blaney in the 12 will win. Risks. You know, I think... When you look back at the history of NASCAR, it is uh, a sport of risk-taking to have the original uh, Daytona beach course um, and to go from there to uh, this crazy idea of, of Charlotte Motor Speedway at the time. In 1959, Daytona, to, to build Daytona, Talladega. Uh, NASCAR is a history of risk, and that's, that's just the tracks. The drivers themselves are taking risks and um, kind of doing this un unbelievable thing that risks life and limb uh, for competition. And I think it's part of what we as NASCAR fans love about auto racing is uh, that, that they're putting it all on the line. And part of that is the course that they race on. I think it was a risk, you know, for sure. Taking uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway, uh, one of our iconic NASCAR event weekends and changing it up with the Roval is a risk, but it's, it's something I think that's in keeping with the spirit of the history of our sport. Greetings, welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today, I've got a narrative episode of the pod looking back at the brief history of the Roval. That's the hybrid road course that runs through the infield and uses much of the one and a half mile oval at Charlotte Motor Speedway. In just three short seasons, the Roval has become one of the most highly anticipated stops on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. And it's also delivered some of the most memorable moments in recent seasons. On the last lap of the Roval's 2018 debut, Martin Truex Jr. was spun from the lead by Jimmy Johnson who was eliminated from the playoffs by the move. And you see the seven-time champion waiting. And we're hearing from NASCAR now, it's official. Jimmy Johnson this year will not have a shot to make it eight championships. In 2019, Chase Elliott crashed from the lead on a restart and then mounted an improbable comeback victory and a signature burnout celebration. How about this? Yep. Perfect place to do your burnout, right where you crashed earlier on a restart. 
<laughs> He'll burn it down. This victory fueled by Sunoco. Fuel your best. Well, if you can't laugh at yourself, look at that. He's out of the car. And there goes the car. All right. Last year, Elliott won again as rain tires were used in the Cup Series for the first time in decades. This week, Joe Gibbs Racing driver Christopher Bell and crew chief Adam Stevens took a group of reporters on a guided tour of the 17-turn, 2.28-mile roval. They explained the nuances and trouble spots of a layout with little runoff area and an abundance of treacherous turtles. The NASCAR vernacular for the sausage curbing that forms part of the painted red, white, and blue outline on the colorful course. This is that yellow line that we just passed. There's no speed limit. So as soon as you hit that yellow line, you got to make this left-hander, which you're, you're pretty much slowing down from pit road speed uh, to make this left-hander. Uh, so it's very important to be able to make this corner as quick as you can and get up to speed, and uh, definitely the sharpest pit exit that we have on the circuit. The voices of Bell and Stevens had traces of giddiness in discussing a track that has become accepted as one of NASCAR's biggest challenges. I'll never forget, so I was in trucks in 17, and uh, they announced that they were doing the Roval, and I'm like, oh yeah, I can't wait to watch that. And then I got announced that I was running the Xfinity Series, I'm like, uh-oh, I don't get to watch it, I'm going to be racing it. So, um, you know, I think everybody was super nervous and, and didn't know what to expect. And then after that first year, maybe the first two years, everyone got a lot more comfortable comfortable with it. And and now it's it's a it's a fun addition to the playoffs, and it's it's fun to be able to do something different and give us another track on the schedule instead of going to Charlotte Oval twice. Crew Chief Stevens looks forward to the Roval because it's a challenging puzzle that requires drastically different setups to achieve optimum speed in its banked oval section versus the technical road course layout. You're really focused on power down off of the slower corners, and the, the wheel rates that you might try to achieve for that are, are not what you need to keep the car off the racetrack on the oval. Um, so you're having to really do some, do some crazy things to uh, keep the car off the track. But also the left to right balance. You know, there's four right-handers in a row here in the infield, but um, there's two left-handers, you know, left-hander out of the backstretch chicane and turn eight up onto the uh, uh, NASCAR turn one there that are a lot of lap time there. So um, it's, it's just a, a delicate balance. It's delicate balance to hit with no practice for one, um, but there's definitely a compromise there. The thing you would do to help this one is the wrong thing to do for the other one. All of this makes sense now, but it hardly did four years ago when Stevens was one of many in the NASCAR industry who were skeptical of the Roval's viability, particularly after a rough start in testing. first came here, did you think, no way this is going to work? Yeah, I honestly thought, uh, why are we doing this? Uh, because I love racing at Charlotte. I love the Oval. I always thought it put on a good show. And then it, it was so different that it was just mind-blowing. And, and especially tearing the cars up in the tests. And thankfully, they... Uh, made some changes to the track to, to really kind of make it more suitable. You know what I mean? And I, it's definitely suitable now. There's a fair amount of chaos, uh, and it's definitely um, penalizing if you make a mistake. Um, but it, it's, it's legit now, um, and I think it's here to stay for sure. And it's, it's beautiful. Um, just going around here, it's been a treat for me. I haven't really seen it from this side. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a very different than that first test of, like, wide-eyed, like, I can't believe we're doing this, to... Uh, yeah, this is this is what it takes to make it through the playoffs, you know? The Roval is in its second year as the cutoff race for the second round of the playoffs. 
but it opened in 2018 as the cutoff race for the first round. Ryan Blaney, who won that inaugural race after Truex and Johnson collided, says the opinions greatly have changed since then. 2018, I mean, we thought everyone was crazy, right? I mean, like, what are we doing? This is ridiculous. And uh, now it's just like, yeah, it's a pretty good road course. <laughs> um, and we've done it, you know. It's a little bit different than we did at Daytona, right? Daytona already had a road course set in the si- inside of it, but uh, and Charlotte halfway did it. But, um, yeah, it's just pretty funny when, you know, new things come about. You're like, this is crazy. This is nuts. What are we doing? And then when you get three, four years in, you're like, oh, it's another racetrack, you know? And um, so I, I like the road. I think it's, it's a, it was a unique idea that I think has opened up a lot of other doors for us going to these new tracks, new road courses. And that's, that's really neat to see. Also a part of the craziness in that first year was Eric Almarola, who went from three points out of the playoffs to advancement to the second round over the final two laps. Yeah, I think in the beginning, it was just such an unknown. It was kind of daunting, so to speak. Just uh, the turtles and the big curbs and that backstretch chicane, which they've, you know, they've uh, redesigned that backstretch chicane. Uh, after the first year but yeah just a lot a lot has changed about it and then just it's not a unknown anymore like we know what to expect there's data to look at from it um, you know there's uh, you can rewatch the race and there's just there's just a lot more knowledge and right and so um, anytime something is unknown there's a lot of kind of angst about it uh, just because you have no idea what to expect but then uh, as soon as you do it once or twice, uh, that experience from doing it um, allows you to be able to understand and predict better what the racetrack is going to deliver. So how did the Roval concept originate? Well, it all started five years ago in Marcus Smith's office overlooking Charlotte Motor Speedway. When I was a kid, I used to love coming to Charlotte Motor Speedway for the Camel GT race. This was uh, an, like what is today IMSA sure. racing on basically the same course. 90% of it is the same course. And we haven't had uh, the Camel GT back here, I think, since the 80s. And that was a sports car. Yeah, sports car racing. Sports I mean, racing. Rick Hendrick competed with, uh, with a Corvette sports car. You had, you know, the, the Porsches and the Jaguars, all these, you know, great 24-hour Le Mans type cars that were racing. So my dad and Rick Hendrick were were talking, and they said, you know, we, we need to revive the old road course uh, for testing. They were thinking about, you know, driving, sports car driving, and uh, manufacture car testing. So we started working on um, just improving and modernizing the infield road course. Um, I thought it was a great idea. thought it would be fun. Nothing else would be a place to go drive you know some fast cars and enjoy it october i think of uh 2015 or 2016 actually i thought you know this race needs something special we've got the nascar all-star race in may we have the shortest race in nascar for a million bucks to win then you have the coke 600 nascar's longest race one of the most prestigious races in the world and then in October, we have this you know, Bank of America 500. It was really overshadowed by the other two races. Uh, and my office is kind of up on the roof, and I can see everything really well. And I saw our brand-new road course in the infield, and I thought, hey, I got an idea. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we have a, a revive the old road course and uh, the Roval and, uh, and race NASCAR on the Roval? Another thing that sort of pushed me that way as I – 
listening to so many uh, so many fans and drivers talk about uh, where they wanted a road course in the playoffs. Well, this would sort of uh, kill two birds with one stone. You take out an intermediate mile and a half, and you add in a road course. You know, mission accomplished. Yeah, that's how it kind of uh, happened. Smith's first call about the idea was to NASCAR Executive Vice President and Chief Racing Development Officer, Steve O'Donnell. And I called Steve and said, are, are you sitting down? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's not the first crazy idea I've run by him. So um, I, uh, I talked to Steve and said, here's my idea. He said, man. That's a crazy idea, but I kind of like it. You know, just kept pushing from there. I floated the idea by Dale Jr., uh, and he said, I'd like to watch it. I wouldn't be crazy about driving it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny at the time. So <clears throat> he was still driving uh, in NASCAR at the time. So before he jumped in the TV booth, and uh, sure enough, he had a chance to watch it. And Jeff Burton had some great insight uh, in when we invited the whole NBC team out to take some test laps at the Roval. Jeff said he showed up and thought, this isn't gonna work. And by the time we were done with the demo laps, he was, he was convinced that it was gonna be really great. An initial feasibility study was done with Speedway Motorsports Vice President of Operations, Steve Swift. It took about a week and confirmed the idea was doable. But Marcus Smith still set out to vet the idea across motorsports. When you look at NASCAR drivers um, and how they race on road courses, the, the cars and, and the competition, it has uh, matured so much. I mean, the, the races in Sonoma, the races in Watkins Glen, I think all of us watching over the last several years can see that the quality of the competition, the, the enjoyment of the race is at you know, all-time highs. And we wanted to have a first-class track, uh, world-class performance track here at Charlotte when we designed the Roval. And so I got help from uh, people like Alex Wurz, who uh, designs F1 courses, from uh, Insight from Mario Andretti, one of the greatest drivers ever, if not the greatest. Um, Jeff Gordon played a role in helping us to, to fine-tune and develop the track. Um, Max Pappas uh, had had some great insight for us, and it, it was a, a big process that took some time. And when you when you develop a track for driving, for a driving track, I always say you want to drive away. You want to be able to drive that car home. A racing track, the competition matters. The the overtaking zones matter. Driving the car home isn't a concern. Winning the race is a concern, and giving opportunities to pass is the most challenging part of designing a road course, uh, no matter where it's at. And I think we've... Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. 
So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Done that here with the Roval. The backlash in 2017 to the proposed track was fierce and immediate from drivers, crew chiefs, and team owners. And Smith said even some fans weren't initially sold on the idea. Heard positive and negative. Uh, you know, and I've learned over the years that you're not going to make everybody happy. So um, I don't make that my goal anymore. But I think, you know, our, our goal is to put on an amazing competition with um, drama, with, you know, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat that are essential for fantastic sports entertainment. And, uh, you know, we live in a in a world where uh, you know people kind of like their their entertainment in this um, you know highlight packed uh, uh, package. So it's um, I think the Roval has done a really good job of creating some of those highlights and giving drivers a chance to showcase their skills in a way that they aren't tested elsewhere. And uh, certainly a big challenge for the teams because this track is it's fast, the high banks, the the quick shorter infield portion of the course uh, puts a big, big test on the cars uh, with brakes, with uh, high speed handling, um, and you know, it's a gut check too because how fast you go into that uh, back stretch chicane or the front stretch chicane, the last chance to pass, uh, those are big braking moments that give the driver a chance to dig a little bit deeper if they want to. The transformation still was a big vision to realize particularly at a track with roots stretching to 1960. Greg Walter was named Executive Vice President of Charlotte Motor Speedway in November of 2016. A week later, Marcus Smith put a major project on his plate. Add a new cup race on the track's revitalized road course in less than a year. I had just gotten in the role. I mean, he had named me in November as Executive Vice President of track. And then like the next week, oh, by the way, here's this plan for the role. I mean, I was, was new to the job and, and trying to assimilate and figure things out. Um, I had worked with Marcus for almost two decades, so I knew he was kind of a, a visionary and, had, and was full of big ideas. This one sounded incredible. Um, and, and as we began to kind of identify the resistance, you know, the pockets of the naysayers. So the original vision was to, to start this in the fall of 2017. And we still had to get a lot of buy-in. So we set up a meeting with all the team owners in Daytona of that year. And, and I've been in the sport a long time and I walk in, it's kind of intimidating. You have every team owner, all the titans of our sport, you know, and people have their arms crossed and, and there's not a real welcoming face in there. And we walk through the vision of how we're gonna change what the fall race at Charlotte's gonna be all about. And, you know, objections is too soon, the cost, there were lots of things that were of concerns to the teams. And, and Marcus was just, was undaunted. Like, this, this is the vision, right? If you work with someone who has a clear vision of where we're gonna go, and you, you have doubt, you're not, not sure about it, but he was, he was certain and convincing. And so that's kind of started the process of you know, addressing some of the concerns they had, 
and you know, starting to target now 2018. With drivers and teams concerned about the costs and crashes from putting cars on a track whose configuration was still fluid, pushing back the inaugural race to 2018 was a blessing in disguise for Walter. It also allowed more time for surveying with experts such as Alexander Wurz, an Austrian who won the 24 Hours of Le Mans twice and also made 69 starts in Formula One. Steve Swift explained how the international driver's expertise was invaluable. Alex was a great asset to us. You know, Alex came in and Marcus had reached out to Alex and Alex came in from overseas and actually came out on the track and drove the track and, and kind of gave us a feel whenever we started looking at where the chicane should be and how things should flow and how it would be competitive for, you know, naturally he comes from the F1 world so that car reacts totally different to what our stock cars react to. So he was really great insight and then Max, um, naturally knowing Alex as well and being on both sides was able to kind of help to equate that. So we talked to a bunch of other drivers um, naturally to get feels and guys that were good road course racers, AJ Allmendinger, guys that, that are notorious on road courses and what we could do and, and what were the right places to make passing zones and things of that nature and you know a lot of great input, a lot of those things were put into place and we would weigh out the balances of what it looked like that could be constructed. You know, we did a lot of research, so we would look at, you know, there's a lot of road courses out there, um, nationally, internationally, so looking at different road courses, different chicanes, different turns, uh, the way that things worked, and then looking at the space that we had to work with, you know, we've got existing garages, a media center, so to say that there's road courses like at Daytona, but that's 400 acres of an infield, where here you're at 110 acres. So trying to figure out how to fit that into a smaller infield with a smaller footprint and still have those great turns and those great passing zones and knowing you know, what's gonna create a great racetrack, um, it took a lot of research, you know, talking with Alex to get that information from the F1 and where those types of turns and, and different passing points could be. And then knowing we were gonna run the oval and our high banks, right, to keep the, the, the oval portion and give it that roval name, um, was was a lot of research to look at and try to figure out what was going to make the best. And then as we did, you know, over the last four years, we still made tweaks, right? We came back and we did something different on the backstretch chicane. Uh, the front stretch chicane was done numerous times before we got to that first race, changing the infield layout to accommodate what Kurt had mentioned that we should do. So making those tweaks, and that's the great part with Marcus, is he was always willing to make it better, to make it great, to make it awesome, like Greg referred to. It was always, what's that next level? And never stop thinking about it. You know, what's the next thing? And not to say we may change it again in the future. A Formula One champion also provided input, as Mario Andretti made a request to Smith for a Roval test drive. Before he got in the car, first of all, he said, um, before he, he, he agreed to do the, <laughs> the drive, he said, um, I'll do it, but I want to drive a Porsche 918. Bob Lutz, who works with Mario, said, Mario wants to drive a 918, and I think you know where you can get one. So it happens that uh, my brother had a Porsche 918 at the time, and I said, listen, that is crazy. Like, I haven't driven that car. I'm afraid to drive that car. It's a, it's a million-dollar car. They only made 918 of them. You know, we're in the car business, my brothers are, and, and everything, and uh, so... They had this vehicle, and um, and I said, well, I'm not driving it, but but I'll check. And then uh, my brothers were both both said, yeah, let's do it, you know, Mario. And uh, I'll oh, yeah, one of them rode. My brother David rode along with Mario, which was extremely brave and crazy at the same time. <laughs> I think uh, David made the mistake of asking Mario not to uh, push it too hard, yeah. which he just did the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they were going very fast i mean well over 150 miles an hour through the uh through the track 
and uh, this is a just a supercar. And uh, so Mario, before he drove it, he said, "I'm going to drive it, and I'll give you the feedback. And if I like it, I'll tell everybody else. If I don't like it, I won't tell anybody but you." <laughs> <laughs> Which was fantastic, you right. know. It was kind of uh, my hope, uh, really. So. He uh, had two things, uh, three things. One, he said, it's amazing. It's, it's way better than I thought it was going to be. He was um, really surprised by the elevation changes and the, the camber and the turns and, and that sort of thing. And then he said, uh, the infield, you need to uh, create an infield camping area because that's what, uh, that's what all the great road courses in Europe have. You have a, an area where all the fans are right in the middle and, uh, and it makes it a lot more fun. And, uh, and the third thing he said is you need a chicane on the backstretch. And at the time, we didn't have a chicane on the backstretch. And I said, why do you want a chicane on the backstretch? And he said, you're going too fast. It's, it's just too fast. Charlotte track officials also were guided by the advice of current NASCAR drivers, namely in private tests by Kurt Busch and A.J. Allmendinger. Two open sessions with 20 drivers apiece also provided some valuable advice and some lighthearted moments for Swift who often is accustomed to being in the line of fire because his primary role is racetrack preparation. I have a fun position that gets a lot of scrutiny from race drivers, definitely, because we're always messing with the product that they run on, right? So um, I've learned through the years to take a lot of that information and use it to put it out to what's going to be best for the racetrack and what's going to be best for the race fans. And then also making sure that the drivers are getting a competitive track that's safe and that they can actually compete on. So Kyle Busch was out here, uh, put in a lot of time to try to figure out the racetrack because, you know, it's a very important race for those guys. So he stayed out here really late. He comes and grabs us, myself and Don Hawk. We go to the front stretch. We make a whole lap, actually. And everywhere through that lap, we're, we're actually getting his input. And he's telling us, right here, if you move the curb a little bit this way, or why are these curbs here? Uh, we need this to be a little bit straighter. We're not getting, those tire packs need to move back. Uh, and a lot of things that were great constructive criticism that made the track even better than it was. And then we got to the front stretch, and Marcus had an idea that that needs to be a passing zone. And as we saw with that first race, it's a great passing zone. It's right in front of the fans. It's where we want to definitely have that. And he would drive it, literally, in a Toyota Sequoia and say, nope, that's not enough. And we would move, we had a chain out and we moved the chain. We did that three times. And finally, I went over to the Sequoia and I said, Kyle, why don't you get out and put the chain where you think it needs to be? And he physically got out and placed it and that's the front stretch chain we run today. So, you know, there was a lot of great input from those guys. And knowing that they're, they're very informative and wanted to be part of it past that point, you know, naturally we got past all of the, the haste of, the change and not wanting to do to where they were finally, it's going to happen regardless if we want it to, we need to be part of it. So it was a great, great partnership through NASCAR, through the teams, through the drivers to make this happen. Two days of, of practice that were out here, and both days were different groups of drivers. We had 20 the first day, 20 the second. So the first day we had the 20 drivers ran that morning in the backstretch chicane, we had curbs put down and basically we had we would get together after each of these sessions to talk. And we, we got into a, set, a meeting in the garage, all the drivers, NASCAR, and we're talking about the backstretch. And we all decide, let's just go to the backstretch. Let's just go out there and lay it out ourselves. So uh, I remember a very funny story. So Ryan Newman was one of the, the primary people and Michael McDowell that were doing a lot of, of the conversation. We were picking up the curbs and placing them in place. And those curbs, there's two different size curves. There's one that's got a quarter inch steel plate 
and one that's got a half inch steel plate. The quarter inch steel plate weighs about 80 pounds, one piece. The half inch steel plate weighs about 150 pounds. And so we got decided where we were going to put these curbs. And Ryan grabs a hold of, like we're all grabbing them and slinging them. You know, our guys are putting them out and we're helping, trying to speed things up so we can get cars back on the track. And Ryan goes to help and he grabs one of the 150 and not realizing that it's a bigger plate. So he kind of heaves and he's looking at everybody else like throwing these 80 pound and it was quite comical to watch Ryan actually, you know, like struggle to pick up. He didn't struggle, but it was definitely heavier than what everybody else was picking, but he didn't realize that the plates and, and that they weighed different. So it was kind of, he got revved by a couple of drivers of watching all these other guys throw these curves around and then he picks one up and it's not quite as easy. So that was, that was something that was comical on the backstretch. Among the major changes were to eliminate a few looping sections that helped decrease lap times. The tests also launched the first of several redesigns of the backstretch chicane. The first test, I think, were um, it, it was challenging because you know this course is very technical on the infield. So we actually changed a couple of things. Uh, we we put in a shorter version where you cut off a couple of the turns, um, which helped to speed up the laps a bit. So we made some changes. It was it was really helpful to have the cars on the track, just how a lap worked out. You know, the, the, how long a lap is matters when you're when you're in a race. Um, so we made some changes to shortcut it, and I think we ended up with a perfect course. Remember one time we were out here, Kurt Busch was driving the track, and there's another loop on the infield, and Kurt said, "This this is stupid. This is taking too much time. The car is slowing down too much. You got to take that out." Based on the feedback, we took it out. We wanted the drivers to, to embrace the technical challenge that the Roval brought. And so in the A.J. Allmendinger test, we were trying to be like top secret, right? No one's going to know about this. So we put like what we thought were staging trucks and maybe we're filming a commercial to try to, to deflect or, or to keep the, the condo owners from knowing what we were doing. It took about 10 minutes. They knew exactly what we were doing. Everybody wanted to say no, right? It was, it was disruptive. And we, and we had this, this culture of being constructively discontent. How do you go from good to great? How do you go from great to awesome? How do you go from awesome to breathtaking? And this was just an iteration of that. How do we Go, how do we make this better? And the, the vision was very clear. And when, when Marcus told us that he wanted this place to look like a purpose-built road course, that when you walked in, that it looked like it had always been the Roval. There was, I remember um, Martin Truex being interviewed on TV um, the weekend before. And he said, and now we got the Roval, oh boy. And that was kind of the, 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 the anxiousness the drivers had. I mean, what was it Mark Twain said, the only person who likes change is a baby with a wet diaper. This was substantial change. This was not something that any of them had experience with. They didn't know how it would, would go during the race conditions. And um, that, was, that was pretty exhilarating. The fact that the uncertainty made for a better storyline. As a promoter, I'm always worried about the storyline. What's gonna make this engaging? What's gonna make it fun for the fans? and that certainly added to it. We knew all along from the fan standpoint that they were gonna be incredibly excited. Um, we had a test out here where we had like half the field test and it was like 2,000 fans just showed up, right? Because they wanted to see what the Roval was all about. The ticket office was getting all this, like I gotta get tickets, I gotta get tickets. Um, camping was sold out. So we knew from a fan standpoint that this was gonna be huge. And when they got here, the, the weather was amazing. We even talked about, you know, you know, having rain tires so that we alleviated any fears about bad weather. It just added more excitement and drama to, to what fans were going to experience. When it finally came together, 
there was just so much excitement. And then you, and then you have people going to, to each of our staff, going to Marcus, saying, I had no idea. I, I was wrong. Um, that was validating. Right? And then afterwards, we, a lot of us stand outside and watch the fans as they leave the track. And hear them, oh my gosh, you know, that was amazing, that was awesome, people high-fiving each other. And, and the renewals for that race, people wanted to get their tickets for the next year right away. That was a real good indicator of the success of the weekend. I was so excited. Our whole team at Charlotte Motor Speedway did an amazing job pulling together this beautiful, beautiful track. My goal was that when, when fans and the whole NASCAR industry, when NBC showed up for the first Bank of America Roval race, that they would be at a road course, not at the traditional Charlotte Motor Speedway. And I think we really accomplished that. The, the paint on the track, the red, white, and blue over all the, uh, the, the impact barriers, the, just the, the way everything felt was, was fantastic. I was really proud of our team for pulling that off. There were still some anxious moments during that first weekend. Bubba Wallace. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Plowed through the tire barrier at the exit of the backstretch chicane during a Saturday practice. Eric Jones later had a similar crash through the barrier. That prompted NASCAR and track officials to make even more changes. That's probably where I got half my gray hair. Well, it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, but the cool part was that we adapted, right? We made some changes. We moved that back, that tire pack. Um, we were willing, willing to do that. I didn't see it happen in real time, but I saw the highlight right after it happened because, you know, everything's happening so quickly. I just said, holy cow. I mean, you can't go straight through the chicane. You've got to turn. You've got to break. You've got to turn. And... Bubba put that on display for everybody, you know, and he replayed it all the time. So it, it was definitely uh, one of those crazy highlight things that um, you look at and you say, this is a dicey place. It's deceiving at how fast you are and where you need to put on the brakes and the drivers are learning. You know, every other road course, Watkins Glen and Sonoma, you're already familiar with it. Everybody's got lots of laps. Uh, they come out here for the first time getting their braking zones uh, right, getting their passing zones right, uh, all played into how they uh, made their way around the track. Yeah, so looking at that, you know, we were trying to work within the parameters of the oval during that time, and we had worked on that chicane several times and trying to 
replicate somewhat of a bus stop like they have at Watkins Glen. Um, naturally, they were scrubbing speed, but as there are race car drivers, they're going to figure out the fastest way through anything. So as practices progressed, they figured out how to make that faster, and they were cutting a lot of corners to make it faster. Um, and we saw what happened with Bubba. Being nimble and being able to change and NASCAR willing to make us change at that point, um, we, we made some changes. And thus, we've, again, changed that chicane, you know, post years after to make it even deeper to cut more speed off, which has made it more competitive. Um, but it was uh, one of those moments like, oh, no, what have we done, right? Like, what have, what have we created back there, you know, with a car that, that hit that hard and, and that bad? So just starting to think automatically, what can we do to make it different? How can we change it? How can we get it to where we get through the rest of the weekend and, and still be a, a good competitive track and still make it work? Um, you know, working with NASCAR at that point and Marcus to make sure we made those changes. But, yeah, it was that first initial thought of, oh, crap, would we do <laughs> kind of scenario. So, yeah. The crashes by Jones and Wallace might have been the indelible images of the Roval's inaugural weekend, if the race had lacked for drama. It didn't. First, there was the 14-car pileup on a late restart that was triggered when Brad Keselowski overshot the first turn. On the inside, Larson on the outside, back up through the gears they go. A little shove from Mark Trex Jr. And too hard through one, Keselowski, Larson both into the wall. They pile up and the Tubbs heartburn turn. Caution coming out again. And then off the final restart was the memorable battle between Johnson and Truex, with Blaney emerging the victor. Here comes Jimmy Johnson, oh! locks the brakes up. Oh, he's and he's going to slide, he slides through the middle. Truex gets tagged. Now, it'll be a fight for the finish line. Ryan Blaney in the 12 will win. I was starting to head towards victory lane as kind of normal for, for a race. And I was watching it on, on Speedway TV. And um, I don't normally cuss, but I, I let out like, holy sh that that was, I mean, that was the storybook ending you wanted, right? You wanted that last minute Doug Flutie, Hail Mary kind of kind of competition. And, and we got it. And I had a buddy of mine said, did you pay someone to do that? Because that, that, that could not have been better scripted. And that chicane, I mean, that's the whole reason that we put that chicane in was Marcus wanted a passing zone, a place where you would have some drama right there before the start finish, and it paid off big. It would turn out to be the closest that Johnson would get to winning during the final three seasons of his cup career. And even despite the disappointment, the seven-time series champion believes it's helped establish the Robles' reputation for being a worthwhile risk. Yeah, I think it's been a great success. I think the media attention, um, maybe even some of the complaining from the drivers to the challenges that they, they deal with there has helped build the story about that racetrack. And, and I know everybody tunes in and watches as a result. For Marcus Smith, the finish was a validation of vision. It was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, we had uh, a, a last lap, last you know, turn pass for the lead. Um, it was, it, it put competition uh, as, as the number one story, I think, of the, of the day. Uh, drivers were tested, the cars were tested. When they got through the first turn, right into the, to the infield portion of the Roval, and they got in without a wreck for the first lap, I breathed a sigh of relief, honestly, because uh, that, it's a challenging, deceivingly challenging uh, turn when you're coming past the start-finish line and a hard break and left into the infield. Um, and you don't want to you know, give up your spot. So that, that moment was really key for me. And of course the finish with, um, with Blaney 
passing the two cars that were running first and second, uh, Jimmy and, uh, and Martin and uh, Blaney coming through for the win. That was one of those storybook things that happens and Jimmy was going for it, uh, going for broke to stay in the, in the playoffs at the time and gave it all he had and took a risk. And that's what racing is all about, taking risks to win. And I think that uh, all played out really well here. I um, got that feeling that it was uh, going to work, frankly, before the race even even started because of the, the excitement was was at an all-time high, uh, the, the anticipation and uh, the, the pomp and circumstance was all really um, fantastic for the sport. And then the race itself was incredibly competitive and entertaining and uh, challenging for the drivers. So um, all those things pulled together. Um, it's, it's very encouraging, I think, for, for the whole sport to look at what was accomplished at the Roval. And what was accomplished is that we saw that we need to keep taking risks. That's part of the, the DNA of NASCAR. And risks with, with new tracks and new designs and challenges that we wouldn't have done before, um, those are part of the, the foundation uh, of the sport overall. So it, it's got to be part of our future. The future of NASCAR already has been significantly impacted by the Roval. A dirt race made its debut at Bristol Motor Speedway in 2021 and will return next year with a season opening exhibition race on a short track inside the Los Angeles Coliseum. The 2022 schedule will mark the third consecutive season of several major moves that Marcus Smith says can be traced back to his road course baby. It absolutely is uh, the, the thing that I would look back on uh, for the sport to have the encouragement to say yes to an idea that they normally would have said no way to because it worked. You know, and if, if people felt like it didn't work, um, that it wasn't a success, then, you know, all the people could say, you know, I told you so. It wouldn't work. But taking risks, again, are what made this sport what it is. And taking risks at new ideas, uh, things that you don't think can be done, are part of our success and part of our future. Dirt on Bristol, the high banks at Atlanta Motor Speedway that's uh, very controversial right now, going to COTA, these are, these are really uh, important things for us as a sport to take risks on and do things that you know, might be challenging, but um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be part of our, our future and I think uh, we've just started. I think the Roval marked two things. One was that the collaboration and the effort between the teams, the, the tracks, and the sanctioning body could produce great results. We all saw it. It got, it got national notoriety. Among, I mean, I had friends of mine who were not typical uh, fans of NASCAR call me and say that was the most incredible race I've ever watched in my life. Formula One fans who were friends of mine who like call me and say that that was amazing. So it showed what collaboration could do. It also it also put to rest some of the concerns of what change can bring. That if we reinvent ourselves, if we rethink what we're presenting to the fans, that it can be a good thing. And we've certainly seen it over the last couple of years and the changes that we've had. And um, again, with that collaboration as the foundation for it, great things have happened in our sport. Thanks for listening to this narrative episode of the NASCAR and NBC podcast. And our thanks to NBC Sports producer Joel Madak for helping coordinate the interviews with Marcus Smith, Greg Walter, 
and Steve Swift for the podcast. And a reminder that you can catch NASCAR and NBC coverage from the Roval this weekend. The Xfinity race begins Saturday shortly after 3.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. And on Sunday, Countdown to Green begins on NBC from the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval at 2.10 p.m. Eastern, with the green flag shortly after 2.30 p.m. Eastern on the cutoff race for Round 2 of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. That's 2.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. The NASCAR and NBC podcast is available wherever you download podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review if you like what you're hearing. Any questions or feedback, you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan. Thanks for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.